Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the final chapters of Mark's Gospel, entitled, A Saviour's Love. Our Bible reading is from Mark chapter 14 and verses 53 to 65. Before the Sanhedrin. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we will build another, not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophecy! And the guards took him and beat him. What a crazy night! Woken up in the middle of the night, rushed off to the high priest's house, For a court case in the middle of the night at the high priest's house? This is not by the book. I mean, you're meant to have a trial during the daytime and at the temple. Not at the high priest's house. And there's meant to be plenty of opportunity for witnesses to come forward to speak for the accused. And there has to be at least a whole day and a whole night before you can follow through on the execution. To give a chance for an appeal. To give further chance for people to come forward as witnesses to speak on behalf of the accused. Okay, granted, these are more like guidelines. They are ideals rather than fixed rules. But we broke all of our ideals. The whole thing was a farce from the beginning. They weren't trying to to find out whether Jesus was guilty or not of any crime. They were trying to pin some charge on him so they could kill him. As it says in verse 55, they were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. 
as the, as the court case went on, it was obvious, it was so clear that, that he wasn't guilty of any crime. But the chief priest and the religious leaders wanted to kill him. You see, they hated him. They, they were envious of his popularity. Everyone loved him. And this was eroding their authority and their support. Furthermore, Jesus directly challenged their authority and their power by not obeying their rules, by welcoming and including the, the outsiders, the outcasts, like the lepers, the tax collectors, the sinners, even foreigners, even non-Jews. And more than that, he, he even claimed that he had the authority to declare that their sins were forgiven without going through the proper channels, without making a sacrifice at the temple. This wasn't good for business, temple business. Only the priests. They were the agents of God and only they could declare that someone's sins were forgiven. So they considered Jesus dangerous. He was a threat and he was dangerous. They considered Jesus to be a false prophet who was leading the people astray. But they couldn't, uh, they, they couldn't arrest Jesus in, in the middle of the day. You know, as much as they wanted to just arrest him and kill him, they couldn't arrest Jesus in broad daylight because the people loved him. There would have been a riot. So they waited for an opportune moment. Under the cover of darkness, with the help of a betrayer, they arrested him. And now they've quickly convened this trial in the middle of the night at the high priest's house in order to pin some pumped-up charge against him so they can kill him, while everyone else is asleep. And the whole Sanhedrin was there. I mean, as you all know, the, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish high, highest court, made up of the chief priests, the, the rabbis, the Pharisees, and some nobles, the, the respectable and the very, very wealthy men in the city. And the chief priest presides over the court. But they had a problem. Although the Sanhedrin is the, the highest court, the highest Jewish court, and they do have powers over religious affairs and some of the domestic issues, yet their powers were limited because the Romans were ruling. And they didn't have the power to actually put someone to death. So this is their problem. They need to find a reason that will satisfy the Jewish people why they need to kill Jesus. Otherwise, there's going to be a riot. But on the other hand, they also have to find a reason that is going to compel the Roman governor to actually execute Jesus. So that's their problem. They have to find a reason that is going to satisfy both the Jewish people and the Roman governor. And so what do they do? They come up with a whole lot of false charges. And they fail to see the irony in each of them. Firstly, 
They accuse Jesus of being a false prophet who is trying to lead the people astray. This is a good charge. If they can get it to stick, this is a good charge because, according to the Old Testament, a false prophet should be put to death. So if they can get this to stick, they will convince the Jewish people. But at the end of the trial, you can see this in verse 65, they act like animals. They, they, they mock Jesus as for being a false prophet. They, they blindfold him, and then they take turns at hitting him. And then they say, prophesy, tell us who hit you. Even some of the priests and the rabbis took part. It was horrible to watch. I mean, can you imagine that? It was awful. Yet they failed to see the great irony. Jesus had three times predicted that this would happen. Furthermore, just before this happened, Jesus had predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And, and as I walked out of the trial, I heard Peter denying Jesus for the third time. So while they mocking Jesus for being a false prophet, all of Jesus' prophecies are being fulfilled right around them. And they failed to see it. And they failed to see that Jesus was not the false prophet. They were. And they were leading the people astray. But the biggest problem with the, the accusation of being a false prophet, other than the fact that they had no evidence, was that the Roman governor couldn't care less if Jesus was a false prophet or not. He's not going to execute someone for being a false prophet. He's only going to execute someone if they've broken Roman law. And he needs evidence. So, what do they do? Well, they, they accuse Jesus of trying to destroy the temple. Now that is a good charge. Because if they can get this to stick, and if the Jewish people find out that Jesus threatened to destroy their sacred temple, they will turn on Jesus. But even the Romans understood the importance of temple. Destroying a temple was a capital offense throughout the Roman Empire. So this would be a great charge to get to stick on Jesus. And they had a witness. And a witness comes up in verse 50, uh, 58 and he says, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. And in three days I will build another not made with human hands. But again, the problem was they couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Now you see, within Jewish law, you have to have two witnesses. And the, each witness has to give their evidence, their testimony, independently to ensure that the two witnesses' testimonies agree to ensure that they're telling the truth. And they couldn't get any any witnesses' testimonies to agree? Clive was saying this and Lawrence was saying that. No one could agree. As it turns out, apparently when what Jesus actually said was that God would judge the temple and destroy it. Not him. And, and as for that bit about in three days, he will rebuild it. Well, apparently he was actually talking about his own body. 
and that in three days' time, he would rise from the dead. Well, actually, if you think about it, if that's true, if in three days he does rise from the dead, as if, there would be a great ironic truth in the false witness's testimony. But just imagine for a moment. I wonder. If Jesus is telling the truth and he does rise from the dead in three days, does that mean Jesus is the new temple? And would that mean that we don't have to go to temple to have our sins forgiveness and to, forgiven and to come into a right relationship with God, but rather we have to go to Jesus to have our sins forgiven and come into a right relationship with God? I wonder. Well, anyhow, the, the, the high priest was getting furious. You could see he was getting so angry because none of these charges would stick. And so, and you can check this out in, in, in verses 63 to 64, the high priest stood up before them and he asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. He was like a sheep going to the slaughter like the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And the high priest was getting more and more furious. But he had another trick up the sleeve of his priestly robe. And he asked Jesus a leading question. He says, Are you the Messiah? The Son of the Blessed One? Now you see, he was forbidden to ask a leading question. A question in which... If the person answered, they would incriminate themselves. But no one objected. And the title, the Messiah, and the Son of the Blessed One, the Son of God, were titles for the true King of the Jews, who was appointed by God, as opposed to the imposter Herod, who was a puppet for the Romans. Now, of course, there's no Jewish law against claiming to be the Messiah. In fact, everyone was hoping Jesus was the Messiah. But the high priest knew, and we all knew, that if Jesus said he was, he was the true king, and the Roman governor heard, there would only be one result. Crucifixion. That is what happened to every would-be Messiah on a virtually daily basis. If he claimed to be a king, it would be a direct challenge on the Roman rule and it would make him a rebel king, a revolutionary like Barabbas. The court held their breath. How was he going to answer? Jesus said, I am. There was a gasp and then murmurs of we've got him. I was shocked. 
If he said nothing, if he just remained silent, he didn't have to lie. He just had to keep his mouth shut. We had nothing on him. He would have walked free. Why would he say that? Why would he say, I am? What, what would he gain by saying that? He knew if he said that, they would kill him. Why would he say that? He had nothing to gain. Why would he say that? Unless it was true. Could it be true? Could he be the Messiah? The Son of God? Well, at least we had our charge that we could take to the Roman governor. When the Roman governor hears of this, he's definitely going to execute Jesus. But we still didn't have any reason to justify, justify his killing to the Jewish people. I mean, they're not going to be happy when they find out that we have taken their Messiah and handed him over to the Romans. There would be a riot. But before the high priest could even say another word or ask another question, Jesus voluntarily offers up incriminating evidence. And he says, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. There was silence. In the court. No one said a word. The high priest slowly walked forward. And he tore his clothes. And he said. Blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. Now, now you're probably thinking, well, how, how is that blasphemy? I mean, blasphemy is to insult God. And blasphemy is normally when you insult God by using His name, Yahweh, in a disrespectful way. But it's also blasphemy if you insult God's agent or institution, like the high priest and the whole priesthood. And when Jesus says, quoting Daniel chapter 7 and quoting Psalm 110, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. He is claiming that He is the Son of God in, in the highest possible sense. He's not just claiming that He is the Messiah, the true King. He is claiming that He is the unique Son of God. He is claiming that He will sit at God's right hand in heaven. He is claiming that He shares the same authority with God. What an insult. I mean, it's kind of like saying to the high priest, you think you're the highest authority on earth and that you are judging me, but actually I am the highest authority on earth and in heaven, and I will judge you. 
What audacity. What an insult. What blasphemy. And Jesus incriminates himself as a blaspheming false prophet. I mean, the only way this could not be blasphemy is if it's true. Could it be true? I mean, just imagine that for a moment. Just imagine if it is true. Do you see the great irony? I mean, if it is true, then Jesus isn't blaspheming. But the high priest is. Jesus isn't insulting God's agent, God's authority. But the high priest is insulting God. Wow. Well, of course, there's, there's absolutely no way to know whether Jesus was telling the truth or not. Unless, of course, he was to raise from the dead in three days. Fat chance that happening. Like I told you, it was a crazy night. Let's pray. As we come to pray, let us reflect on the contrast between Peter and Jesus. Jesus speaks the truth and it costs him his life. Peter denies the truth to save his skin. Are you prepared to confess the truth? Are you prepared to declare that you are a follower of Jesus? Even if it's costly? Sometimes we like to sit on the fence. Perhaps it's about having faith in Jesus. We aren't even sure if we would call ourselves a follower of Jesus. Because we know it's costly. I mean, look where it got him. But this is what he asks of us. To be people of integrity. To be less of us and more like Jesus every day. And it starts by simply reaching out to God in prayer and saying, Heavenly Father, please forgive me. Please help me to have faith. Help me to follow Jesus and be more like Jesus. Perhaps that's the hardest thing of all. So are you prepared to follow Jesus? No matter the cost? This is the Savior's love. That Jesus was prepared to do this for you. He could have so easily have said nothing and simply walked free. Or he could have lied and said, no, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Son of God. But he did not. He was prepared to be betrayed, disowned, abandoned, falsely accused, mocked, beaten, and crucified even though he was completely innocent and had committed no crime. He was prepared to endure this because he loves you, because he wants a relationship with you, and because he has a plan 
and a purpose for your life. This is the Savior's love. Heavenly Father, we marvel at this passage. We are completely humbled by this passage. That you would do this, that you would endure this, because you love us. You love us intimately, you love us personally, and you have wonderful plans and purposes for our life. Yet, Father, we, we are so often more like Peter than Jesus. Outside, disowning you in the way we live, disowning you in what we say, disowning you in how we think, our attitudes. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you cleanse us? Won't you give us courage and faith like Jesus to stand up against all forms of evil with integrity, with selflessness, and with pure divine love? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.